service to you, our hearts to you, our lives to you. I pray, Lord God, that you empower us today to pursue you and you only with everything we live and breathe. That you would empower us to love like you in everything that we do. I pray that day, Lord, that you would bring us to a place that we live in praise the rest of this week for you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Morning. You can have a seat. Thanks for joining us. Man, I love it when we worship, man. That, that wasn't my back. That was, uh, that was the thing. Uh, I don't want any sound on this. I'm just going to let it play through, to, and it'll go to the next slide, okay? So I got a message this morning from Pastor Asif in Pakistan. He sent me this video that's playing behind me. So he was uh, just sharing me a meeting they had yesterday. So this is fresh off the presses. And uh, so I asked him, I said, uh, how'd you get all those people to come out in Pakistan for an evangelistic type meeting? He said, well, we said, come hear the word of God. That's what we said. And I thought, and that worked. I might try that. I'm telling you, let's just next Sunday, come hear the word of God. All right. And see what happens. So, uh, so that's what he said. They, uh, what they do in these meetings is this is in a village outside of Islamabad. So it's not in Islamabad proper because if they were to do it in Islamabad proper, they would end up in jail by the end of the day. But they, um, they, they do go to a village outside of Islamabad, which is that's the major city in Pakistan. And they invite people to these meetings. Obviously, they set up a tent. They sing. Actually, they sing some of the songs that you would know. I mean, the, the music playing in the background of this video is uh, like 90s, 2000s worship music. Some of those songs you know quite well. And uh, so they sing a lot of songs you know. And they share the word of God, share the gospel, and then they give away as many Bibles as they can. They actually couldn't give away Bibles at this meeting because they didn't have enough. They recently just were able to get a whole, their hands on 100 Bibles, and this meeting was too large. So they're going to hand out those 100 Bibles throughout this week. So uh, I just wanted to share this video with you, if it's still playing back there, um, that God is on the move. You know, God's still doing what God does. And I don't know how you feel about how the world is going, but you've got to always remember that the devil owns the press. And, and the father's doing whatever he, the father doesn't need any publicity. He just does what he's doing. Okay. And so you just need to know that God's on the move. Great things are happening. And so this is a ministry that we support and we, we love this ministry very much. And uh, I had a conversation with Pastor Steve this morning. So we start there and we are so thankful to get to be a part of what God's doing in Pakistan. So Thanksgiving. Wow. Now. This is my f- favorite holiday. This is the one. This is it. I, uh, yeah, my hand up, I swear, I testify. Jesus' name, this is my one. This is the one I love. Uh, I, I like Christmas. I like Christmas Day. I love Christmas Day. All, everything between now and Christmas, I'm going to lay low. I mean, all that, everything in between. You know, I'll probably watch some Hallmark movies because... Uh, yeah. Because my wife is a woman, and, uh, so, and I love her, and so I'll probably watch a couple of those. But otherwise, I lay low. But man, Thanksgiving. I love Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving is so powerful. Uh, and Thanksgiving is an, an all-year deal. Thanksgiving is powerful all year and can be claimed any day of the year. 
And so today I want to climb into some things that we want to be thankful for, some things that we celebrate. Uh, I want to remind us about how fleeting some things are, the things that are hard, and how they don't last as long as we think they will. And so I just want us to turn our lives around with some thanksgiving. There's too many Debbie Downers in the world, and if your name is Debbie, I don't mean anything against you personally. I mean, just too many Downers in the world. I mean, uh, you know, Zig Ziglar used to say there are really only 10 nasty people in the world, but they get around. I think they might have had kids. Seems like they get around a little bit more than they used to, especially in the last few years. You know, it is so easy to find out what's wrong in the world. Everybody's an expert on what's not working well. Every problem I ever get involved with, there are always everyone who can see the problems and almost no one who can say, well, here's something we might try to fix the problem. Nobody goes that far. There's like, well, we can't do it because of this and we can't do it because of that. And we can't do it because of this. Now, and I have this theory in life. It's, it's actually more of a value. And what I believe is, is that the only way we learn, the only way we learn is through failure. And so that what we do, we have to try stuff. To, it's the, in fact, I think it's the most efficient way to learn because I'm too stubborn to just take it any other way. I mean, my dad tried. My dad was like, if you do this, it'll turn out bad. Listen, I'm big enough to do what I want. And he said, yes, you are. My dad's smart. Yeah, dad's smart. He figured out that I would figure it out as soon as it hurt me enough to not figure it out. And so... So we don't normally scour our experiences for things that are going well. We normally look around for what's not going well. And that just puts us on a decline, a downward spiral. And so we kind of live our lives in this melancholy state, a little bit sad all the time because we're just looking at everything that's going wrong. So Thanksgiving is a quick way to, to quickly turn your eyes from that downward trajectory to an upward trajectory. To, it fixes our attitude. And so Thanksgiving is when we begin to, to thank God. I Thank God about things. Thank God for things. I'm reminded of Elijah. And Elijah is a, a guy a lot like us. I know it may not seem like that because he called down fire from heaven. But he was actually a lot more like you than you realize. And I, these two passages in 1 Kings 19 have always struck me as interesting. Because in one verse, Elijah says, I alone am left, and now they want to take my life. That's Elijah complaining to God. Doesn't that sound like a wonderful way to spend the day? <laughs> Just complaining to God. God, I'm the only one. No one understands me. No one gets me. I'm the only one who cares about me here. And God turned around and said to him a couple verses later, he said, you know, I still have like 7,000 of you. Who haven't, who've been just as faithful as you. You think you're the only one because you're the only one you want to look at. Yeah. Look around. You'll see that I've got a lot of things going on because, you know, I'm God. I stay busy. So it's important for us that when our thinking gets dark to realize that we're probably not right. That we're probably missing something. No, no, at no time in history have people dealt with anxiety and depression in America in the last hundred years. Not history, in the last... 50, 75 years than as they are now. And I think it's because we're just so absorbed with what ourselves, we don't realize that there's so much more outside of us that's going on. And so we have to remember that. Elijah was a prophet, but even a prophet was wrong. Paul 
told us we had to learn how to fix our thinking. Had to fix the way we think. He said to us in Philippians 4, 8, brothers and sisters, one final thing. Fix your thoughts. Fix the way you think. Fix them on what's true, honorable, right, pure, lovely, admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. I don't know if you know this or not, and this may be a hard pill to swallow, and it's okay. You can have all afternoon to chew on it. Just because you are going through something doesn't mean that that something is true. It doesn't mean it's true. Well, what do you mean, Michael? I have seen people get, every, get, get the thing they wanted more than anything in their lives, and it ruined the rest of their life. I've seen people get the thing that they wanted, they didn't want at all, they never wanted in their life. And it set them up for great success and wealth and abundance. I've seen lost jobs turn into decades of prosperity and abundance. And I've seen successful careers that started out at here turn into an absolute downhill slide into oblivion. A friend of mine once said, you know, we just never know if what's happening is good or bad. Sometimes we think we're really smart. And we think that we understand what's happening, but we don't. We're human beings. The Bible calls us sheep, which implies that we're somewhat dumb. (laughs) And we just don't always understand the implications of all things that are happening. So a lot of times we're miserable about about things that are making us better. And we're happy about things that are making us worse. And so that's why our Thanksgiving comes in. Paul knew we had to... We had to learn to focus. I think what we have to do, to me, the word notice. I think so much of the Christian life is about noticing. Noticing God at work. Noticing God working in other lives. Noticing the wonderful things that happen around us. Noticing the blessings that we have. And when I talk about blessings, and one of the things that God's talking to me about this Thanksgiving is is to be thankful it's, it's great to be thankful for the things that we have. Thank God for our possessions and our financial blessings and our possessions. That's great. But you know and I know. If you don't know, here I'll tell you and ruin your rest of your day. All of those things can be gone in a blink. Just like that. What, we, what I'm working on being thankful for this year is people, relationships, experiences, Things like that. Worship, friends. So I want to give that to you is to notice people that God has put in your life. God has put so many people in my life that enabled me to do what I do today. God has put so many people in my life to support me while I do what I'm doing today. Uh, God has put an amazing support system around me. And I wish I could take credit for it, but I'm not a good networker. If you hang around me for about 10 minutes, you'll figure that out. I got about three jokes and I'm done, you know, and then I'm like, oh, I don't know. I don't know anything about football. I just like to harass people who love it. I love this time of year when a football team determines people's state of mind for weeks on end. And, uh, and, I, and I feel sorry for all of y'all because there's not any of them out there worth following anymore. But anyway, that's just, I know your team's great, but uh, so I want to jump into Corinthians and talk about Thanksgiving, but come at a little different angle. 
Paul writes, We know that God, who raised the Lord Jesus, will also raise us with Jesus. Man, that's a good word. That's 2 Corinthians chapter 4, if you want to read that later this week. I've got a few more verses, but we'll come back to this. We know that God who raised the Lord Jesus will also raise us with Jesus and present us to himself together with you. And all this is for your benefit. And as God's grace reaches more and more people, there'll be a great thanksgiving. And God will receive more and more glory. Sorry, we've been having technical issues. Uh, Mainly it's just me, but I like to blame it on the computers. This is why we never give up. Though our bodies are dying, our spirits are being renewed every day. For our present troubles are small and won't last very long. Yet they produce for us a glory that vastly outweighs them and will last forever. So we don't look at the troubles we can see now. Rather, we fix our gaze on the things that cannot be seen. For the things we see now will soon be gone, but the things we cannot see will last forever. So let's go back to the beginning of that, where we started. We know that God raised the Lord Jesus, will also raise us with Jesus and present us to himself together with you. So to begin Thanksgiving and and to begin to find it, not just in our lives, but as a way of life, let's begin with our example. Jesus is our example. Now, this is a, it sounds so simple, doesn't it? Just Jesus is our example. I think most people today believe Jesus is an exception. I really believe that, because I hear it all the time. Well, yeah, but he's Jesus. And that's true. He is Jesus. But what did Jesus come to do? There are so many scriptures that tell us something about Jesus and what he came to do. Matthew 16, 24. I'm not going to take you to all these. You can make notes if you want to look at them yourself. But in Matthew 16, 24, he says, follow me. Now, if he's an exception, how could we follow him? He says in John 13, 13, I give you an example that you should also do as I did. Do what I do. He says, and Paul says of him in Colossians 3, 13, forgive as the Lord forgave you. He's telling us to follow Jesus' example. 1 John 2, 6, John tells us, walk as Jesus walked. Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 11, 1, be imitators of me just as I also am of Christ. And Jesus said, again, John 20, 21, peace be with you as the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. And Paul even wrote, be imitators of God. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1. What does all this mean? Jesus did not come to overwhelm us with the impossible. He came to invite us into the impossible. Jesus is our example. And he wants us to step into his footsteps and walk into his life and take that journey with Jesus. And the sooner we can grasp this, it begins to open all these possibilities in our life. First of all, here's one that I love. God believes that we can do the kind of stuff that Jesus did. Now, either God's crazy or it's possible. That you and I can follow Jesus into an an overwhelming and unexpected experience. 
Think about that. A man who had the power to love people. The man who had the power to have compassion on those who hated him. The, the man who had the, the, the strength within him to set things right just by his very presence and to disrupt things that were wrong by that very same presence. I just want you to, to wrap your heart around the fact that what God meant with Jesus is that Jesus was the firstborn son of God who is the first of many brothers and sisters. And so what Jesus was saying is this. His life and his ministry, which was very abbreviated, says that we are here to be sons of God on this planet. We're here to represent Jesus Christ in this world. That was the genius of Jesus' plan. He came, and he came as God's son upon this earth, and he had this phenomenal flaming ministry for three and a half years, and then he was gone. And you would think, well, okay, that's over. But it wasn't over, because when he left, he sent back his Holy Spirit to inhabit all of his people. And now that one son of God became what is today billions of sons of God walking the planet. (laughs) Excuse me. So Jesus is our example. And then Jesus is the promise. The verse starts out saying that God raised Jesus from the dead and that God's going to raise us from the dead. I like that. I like the idea of I'm going to get over my own death. I like it. I, uh, I'm actually thinking I want to be cremated because I want to be raptured from everywhere. I want people to get tickled when God puts me back together. <laughs> You're like, that's the weirdest thing I ever heard. It's the weirdest thing I ever heard, and it was not in my notes. <laughs> Let me ask you a question, though. I don't know any Christians who struggle with the belief that God's going to resurrect them from the dead. Every, most believers I know that have much of a faith at all are pretty comfortable with that idea. I know very few believers that believe that God can use them like he used Jesus on this earth. And one is just as impossible as the other. The one is just a matter of time. And one's more, the other's more immediate. You see, guys, Jesus is the promise of everything. He's the promise of how much God loves you. The promise of how much God wants to be involved in your life and cares about you. He's the promise of the Father's direct work in your heart, mind, spirit, soul, and body. He's the promise of of all these wonderful things. And he's the promise that when you die, you won't. That your life is just a process of being born again. And that you will live just as he lived. And as he lives today. And so, you know... By the way, this isn't just a random text I picked that had this in it. Paul talked on this subject so much. Entire chapters, Romans 6, Romans 8, 1 Corinthians 15, uh, 2 Corinthians 4, all are dedicated to this one idea that God is going to raise you from the dead. And the proof of that is that God raised Jesus from the dead. Jesus is the example. Jesus is the promise. And I think that's pretty exciting. I think 
eternal life is exciting. Michael, okay. Guys, I realize the car payment's due on Thursday. I realize you've been sick. Someone in your family's sick, having health issues, financial issues. I, I, I realize all this stuff. But do you understand that when God saved you, he gave you eternal life? We get mad at God. We do. You can act all spiritual and look holy all you want. We get mad at God because he won't do what we want. Won't give us the lottery ticket numbers. Would be nice. But he's already given you eternal life. If you need anything more of God's proof, if you need any further proof of God's love for you than has already been given in the cross of Jesus Christ, you do not yet understand faith at all. I don't mean that as a criticism. I mean that as, hey man, move on. Step into something new. Get out of that hang up. Believe me, there's plenty more in the Bible to get hung up over. Move on. So Jesus is our promise. Jesus is our example. And I think that is worth some thanksgiving. Also, God's given us a family. So I might have a little fun here. We'll see. You know me, I'm pretty tame. All this is your, for your benefit. As God's grace reaches more and more people, there will be great thanksgiving. And that's why we never give up, though our bodies are dying, our spirits are being renewed every day. God is, is, God's family is a growing family. Now, I had the pleasure, the honor, that's how I see it today. Some days I don't see it that way, but of having a large family. We have eight sons. With seven at home at one time, but eight sons all together. When they all come home, it gets a little crazy around our house. It looks like, well, we, you have, if you have kids, you know that you never really know what's going to happen for the holidays until they actually happen, right? <laughs> so at, at the moment, it's just going to be Christy and I and Cayman. Kate, are you going to be around? Okay, for Thanksgiving, all right. <laughs> I'm smoking a turkey, and I'm really good at it. Say, Michael, that sounded arrogant. No, that's just the truth, brother. It's the truth. (laughs) I tell you what, larger families are fun. We get together and it gets loud at our house. My boys, you may not believe this, but they're all pretty loud. They probably get it from her. (laughs) She she can get loud. Y'all don't, you don't know. No, that's right, they did hear you last week. So, my point is, God wants his family to get larger. Now, you don't just find a large family and join it. I know, people tried with ours, and we're like, no, no, thank you. I'm not kidding. People all the time would say, you know, we're really tired of our child. We think we might have ruined him. Let's give him to you. We'll give him to you. And I'm like, no. They say, you won't even notice. I'm like, oh, I'll notice. I notice these things. (laughs) I noticed when the others showed up. You don't find a large family and joy. You know, what, you know what grows a large family or a small family or any family? Love, intimacy, compassion, patience, patience, money. I mean, I mean patience. <laughs> I'm just having a little bit of fun. My point is, is that when God sent Jesus to this earth, he was, he was starting a family. God's 
plan is a family plan. Sometimes we think God's plan is an organizational plan, but there is no evidence of that in God's word. God never started with an organization. He started with Adam. He restarted again with Seth. Restarted again with Noah. Started again with Abraham. You say, well, those are men. No, these were all families. Noah had his sons and their wives. And Abraham had his family. And Jacob had a family. And Israel was a family. And then when Jesus came, Jesus reinstituted a family. You're like, well, it was the 12 disciples. Yeah, who operated together more like a family than an organization. Just read Acts 2. Because what happened in Acts 2 is the natural outworking of who those 12 disciples were became the church. And they operated together. Together as a family, not as an organization. You say, Michael, what does this have to do with anything? Well, I'll tell you, families are messy, <laughs> disorganized, problems. How many of you will have dinner with someone this week that you will not talk to for the next year? <laughs> yeah? Yeah? That's family. That's family. I love you. But we can't hang out. <laughs> We're family, but you stay over there. <laughs> Go watch the game. Let's not talk. Uh, anyway, so that's what families are. You say, Michael, well, you're, you're making fun. I am, but I'm also pointing out that families are messy. And this is God's plan because families are organic. They're beautiful. I mean, of, our, of all of our children and now our five daughters-in-law and and uh, now, now we have nine, nine grandchildren. I wasn't even going to say grandchildren, but I, I thought you were saying we had more daughters-in-law. <laughs> she said nine. We only have seven grown sons. And I'm like, well, two of them are in all their stuff. <laughs> uh, I'm, yeah, no, I'm just being so awful. I'm being so awful. Our, our family is special. The family of God is a special family. And that's something we need to learn to be thankful for. Jesus set up this beautiful example, started this family of 12 disciples, and all that, there was an atmosphere of people, hundreds of them, who breathed around that, those 12. You discover as you read into Acts that it wasn't just those 12 guys. There was like 120 of them all together. And, and, and so there's this whole atmosphere around them, and Jesus started. And so God's building a family. That's what we're part of, and we need to be thankful for it. Yeah. For those brothers and sisters, the ones that are the, the, the grace and the oil and the softness, and they carry us and they nurture us, and the ones who are the sandpaper and the Brillo pads and don't have hair named Steve. And uh, Oh, no, just kidding. <laughs> Just kidding. Just kidding. Um, we need to be thankful. Honor what God's doing. Realize that that is what God is doing. Because this, the family is what brings glory to the Father. The family is what's going to be at the marriage supper of the Lamb. The big family reunion that's coming. It's going to be the family. And that's why I argue, and I argue strongly, that Christians should be great at relationships, but to get great at relationships, we have to be willing to be bad at them 
and step into them and learn how to have relationships with each other. So this Thanksgiving, thank God for Jesus, his example, his promise. Thank God for the family because it brings glory to God. And lastly, the Bible says in, uh, oh, I'm sorry, I jumped ahead. And that's good because I might run out of time if I don't do this right now. And you're like, no, he'll never run out of time. Verse 17, for our present troubles are small and won't last very long. Yet they produce for us a glory that vastly outweighs them and will last forever. So we don't look at the troubles we can see now. Rather, we fix our gaze on the things that cannot be seen. For the things we see now will soon be gone, but the things we cannot see will last forever. I realize that life can be hard. And I want to speak to that for a moment. I also, I believe, and and you can disagree with me, but I believe the last 30, 40 years have been pretty easy on on a general economic scale. But I have read these strange things that used to exist called history books. And I know, for example, that the reason you live in Rock Springs today is because 100 years ago, 120 years ago, somebody lived back east and they decided they wanted freedom more than they wanted comfort. And so they hopped on a stagecoach, covered wagon, grabbed a handcart, something. And they walked out of the chaos of the urban world just so they could build a life of freedom for their kids. It was not easy. Many of them built houses out of mud, dirt bricks to survive. Rock Springs, is part of its history is that you had workers come from all over the world, across the ocean, to work on the railroad. For They came here for an opportunity, a chance to build a life. And many of them, if you read the local history, they dug holes into the side of Bitter Creek and that were their homes while they worked on that railroad. Can you imagine? They just, I'm sorry, I'm going to have a little fun here. They just, the the federal government just spent a whole bunch of money to make Bitter Creek look really attractive down there behind Albertsons. And I'm like, that is government thinking at its best right there. I cannot wait to go down there and walk around and smell that creek and look at it. (laughs) Hug my honey. Anyway, moving right along. (laughs) My point is that comfort, your personal comfort is not a measure of God's blessing on your life. And if that's the standard you're holding God to, you will lose your faith. Because, you see, in the, this is how they used to do it all the way back into Acts. When Paul would teach people about Christ and they would come to faith, he would say things like this in Acts 14, I think it's verse 22. He says, it's through great trial that you will enter the kingdom of God. He didn't have a message that was like, hey, God's for you and he's going to make everything work out for you. And it's, yay, we can do all things. He, he did say that, but it was in the context of being broke, not being rich. You can read it, Philippians chapter 4. Find out for yourself. And so my point is simply this. If your comfort is the standard you're holding God to right now, you're not actually worshiping God. You're worshiping God's provision. 
If your comfort is, is the standard you're holding God to, you're not worshiping God. You're worshiping God's provision. Read John 6 and find out for yourself how that turns out for people. Jesus is not cool with it. My point is this. Yes, life is hard. What do you expect? It's going to be hard. And God's still going to be good. He's still going to take care of you. You're still going to resurrect from the dead. You still have a life in eternity where you rule and reign. I mean, there is a day that you as a child of God will be able to look at your supernatural enemy, the devil, at some point in the future, and you'll tell him when to sit down and shut up because you have that kind of authority and that kind of rule as, his, as God's child. That's the promise that is for you. But if you think that God is... is mad at you, judging you, whatever, just because you're having a hard time, you need to erase that thinking and let it go because it is through great tribulation, great trial, great trouble that we enter the kingdom of God. Does that make sense? It's hard. It's hard. And it's going to be hard. And I wish I could tell you, you will have windows where it's easier than others, but it's going to be hard. But here's the thing, it doesn't last. This life on earth, I know many of you, myself to a degree included, we feel like we're getting old, but we're not. We're being born. This life isn't a journey to the grave. This life is a journey to life. It's a journey to eternal life. We are in the process of being born into eternity, into our eternal purpose. And we have to remember that. So the difficulties of this life, they are brief. Paul said, don't worry about them. The hard things are your friends. I was listening to Pastor Chu, who was a contemporary of Brother Yun a few weeks ago. And as he was talking about their trials and the persecutions he endured in China, the Holy Spirit said to me, he said, your persecutor is your friend. And I'm like, I hate that. Your persecutor is your friend. I'm like, how you're going to have to develop that a little bit, Holy Spirit. And he said, because your persecutor is stripping off everything of you that's in the way of Christ and is releasing the Christ that's within you for greater glory. Your persecutor is your friend. And you love your persecutor. He may hate you, but you love your persecutor. That's what this life is. All these hard things, they're just preparing us to rule and reign. They're teaching us how to be sons and daughters of God. And so they won't last very long. And when they're over, we'll be home. I love home. I think one of the reasons God moved me so far away from my parents is so I could continually get the reminder of how great it is to get home. Because every year or so, or, or more, we take that road trip to Kentucky and Tennessee. And then we come back. It's two days drive. I hate every second of that drive. I mean, Nebraska's a great state, but I hate looking at I-80 through Nebraska. <laughs> it's cool the first time. You see that Platte River zigzagging across? You can almost see John Wayne crossing it in a couple places. <laughs> but then you're tired of it. It's over, you know. It's a little cool in March when all the birds are flying, but that's it. And, um, but then when I get home, back to Rock Springs, the armpit of Wyoming, they call it. I love it here. Put me in this armpit. When I get home, 
It feels so good. I have that long journey behind me. I can forget it pretty quick once I get home. But that's, that's our story. One of these days, we're going to get home. And all the bad stuff that happened on this terrible camping trip we've been on our whole lives, all that stuff's going to fade. We're not going to care about it anymore because we'll be home. We'll be with our Lord and Savior. We'll be at peace. That's how you have to deal with your mind and your heart. You have to set your affections, your directions on the future, on where we're going. That's the kind of hope that's going to carry you through the job losses, the health battles, the relational struggles, the political upheaval. It's not going to be things working out. It's going to be that eternal hope that I'm not from here and I'm not staying here. I'm on my way home. That's the kind of stuff we have to learn to thank God for. So in your search for thanksgiving, expand your horizons. I'm so glad that we have the blessings of homes and family and friends. But I'm even more glad that this world is not my home. I'm even more glad that where I'm going is a place that my God reigns and my Lord and Savior lives. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this season to pray, to be thankful. Thank you for the wisdom it took for previous leaders long ago to institute days to remind us to be grateful. So, Lord, I pray that you would open our eyes to a gratefulness that is beyond our graves and our lifetimes, a gratefulness that's beyond what we possess and who we presently are. A gratefulness that, that sets us upon our Father and upon the family together in, in heaven eventually and eternally. I pray that today you would help us to set our eyes upon each other and you afresh. Eyes of thankfulness and gratefulness that we have you, that we have each other, and of all the things in this world, we have hope no matter what comes. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.